Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. As callers are discovering, Charlie is on vacation. So they actually have an ice call screener. <laughs> All right. Now, um, I you know, I, I want to actually make you smarter than your neighbors. And, and I, I mean that in all seriousness because of what's going to happen tomorrow. But before I get there, I want to take Bob's call because I'm going to switch gears so dramatically. Bob, I want to go to you first. Welcome. Welcome. Uh, good. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate and I under I like your comments and the education I get from you. Thank you. Uh, two, two thoughts. One concerning uh, how I view the, the function or purpose of the Supreme Court. And you've mentioned this. And it's crystallized it in my mind. It's they're focused on the legality of the laws, not the subject or the scope of what the law is necessarily. Um, and the Democrats are liberals all seem to be on the social aspects and say the hell with the legality aspect of it. And then they're surprised when they're overturned and angry. And, and it's almost like they're acting like petulant little children stamping around two-year-olds and throwing things in tantrums. The oh, very much is, so. Is what you let, yes, what you talked about last week with Trump, and I agree, he's alienated voters that would have supported him, and he still has that core. Now, I'm thinking what I would would be a good strategy is is to have Trump run but have DeSantis run as his vice president. Let Trump take the heat for having to correct everything that screwed up and have four years of that, and we know he's done it, and he can do it again. And he has no, you know, he's he would serve a second term, has nothing to lose, and he'd bull through that. But then with DeSantis behind him, have DeSantis pick Tim Scott as his vice president and establish a legacy heritage of of conservatives in the executive branch of the government. And I think all of those are are very winnable candidates. Well, okay, I, I see what you're saying there, um, if the desire is to bring Trump back, but if you accept that Trump actually lost in 2020 and didn't get it stolen from him, um, if the Democrats go in a different direction, it kind of uh, begs the GOP to not go with the septuagenarian. Um, he, he had four years and he, I personally think it would come over a little too cute to the voters to try to line up your succession like that. Events do change things, you know. Um, I just think the GOP would be very wise to go eight years with someone who could potentially uh, not just undo the damage of Biden, but move forward as opposed to letting Trump come back for four years, maybe let him undo the damage when he actually wants to chart more of a course, but you got to undo the damage, and then he's only got four years, so then he's got to pass it off to somebody else, and no guarantees that he plays nice after four years with DeSantis. It just, Trump is a bull in a china shop. Um, you, you can't plot out cleverly a path forward with that. I, I see where you're going, but... I just think literally any Republican on planet Earth who's qualified to be president of the United States could get eight years, and Trump could only get four. That doesn't suggest we should go backwards to go forwards. Now, regardless, thank you for the phone call. And I want to, Bob, uh, as you said, uh, educate you 
and provide you information on what's going to happen tomorrow. Now, uh, tomorrow you should know, I am purely speculating, but there are odds that tomorrow is the la- tomorrow is the last day for the Supreme Court. They have four opinions left. They come out tomorrow. And one of the opinions that is expected to come out is expected to undo one of the other long-lasting Supreme Court precedents. Now, for, for perspective, you need to understand what the Supreme Court has done. On Friday, the Supreme Court got rid of Roe v. Wade, a 50-year precedent. Yesterday, the Supreme Court got rid of Lemon v. Kurtzman, a 55-year precedent. And tomorrow, the Supreme Court is probably going to get rid of Chevron versus NRDC, a 38-year precedent. And Chevron versus National Resources Defense Council is perhaps more deeply powerful a precedent than any other case the Supreme Court has dealt with in the last several decades. Because Chevron versus National Re- Natural Resources Defense Council gave us the Chevron doctrine or the Chevron deference test. Now, I don't want to go over your head, but I need to put it to you this way. When you are in law school, you take constitutional law. You learn about Lemon versus Kurtzman. And you learn about Roe v. Wade. But Chevron versus NRDC, you learn about in federal procedure. You learn about in statutory law. You learn about in environmental law. You learn about in constitutional law. You learn about across the board. If you take regulatory law, you learn about Chevron. You take environmental law, you learn about Chevron. You take federal procedure, civil procedure, you learn about Chevron. You take uh, con law, I mean, Chevron is embedded within the framework of federal laws, and it's only a 36-year-old case. And tomorrow, the Supreme Court will render a decision in West Virginia versus the EPA. And most court watchers are expecting the Supreme Court to either get rid of Chevron or overhaul Chevron. One of the biggest critics of Chevron was Antonin Scalia. Antonin Scalia regularly upheld Chevron but did not like Chevron and made clear that uh, someone needed to come up with a new standard, but no one had argued a standard. And for years, Antonin Scalia begged people, come to the court with a better standard than Chevron, and I'll give it to you. Well, you know who came to the Supreme Court with a better standard? A guy named Neil Gorsuch. You might have heard of him. And then Neil Gorsuch was joined by a guy named Brett Kavanaugh who spent his career as a federal judge undermining Chevron at every point. And they joined a guy named Clarence Thomas, 
who whenever Antonin Scalia would say, if you come to court and give me a better standard than Chevron, I'll give it to you, would say, why can't we come up with a better standard? Because Chevron sucks. Tomorrow, you've got Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, Clarence Thomas, and also a guy named John Roberts who hates Chevron. And now for perspective, let me give you even broader perspective on why it's significant. Clarence Thomas has written about how bad Chevron is. Stephen Breyer has written about how bad Chevron is. Elena Kagan has written about how bad Chevron is. Sonia Sotomayor has written about how bad Chevron is. Amy Coney Barrett has written about how bad Chevron is. Neil Gorsuch has written about how bad Chevron is. Brett Kavanaugh has written about how bad Chevron is. Sam Alito has written about how bad Chevron is. And John Roberts has written about how bad Chevron is. Literally all nine sitting members of the Supreme Court have at one point on the Supreme Court written about how bad Chevron is. And this year, the Supreme Court has refused to use the Chevron doctrine in any case. Neither the majority nor the major- minority have used the Chevron doctrine, and yet it is binding on all the courts of appeal. So what is Chevron? The Chevron doctrine is an administrative law principle that federal courts have to defer to a federal agency's interpretation of an ambiguous law passed by Congress that delegates to the agency the power to administer the law. So when Congress writes a law and the law is ambiguous or not clear, and Congress tells the federal agency, you pass the regulations to enforce this, the federal courts have to give deference to the agency. Now, there's a two-part step process. The court must determine whether Congress expressly intended in the statute, and if so, whether or not the statute's intent is is ambiguous. So what is Congress's intent, and is it ambiguous? If the intent of Congress is unambiguous or is clearly stated, that's it. The agencies have to carry out what Congress actually said to do. If, however, the intent of Congress is unclear, or if the statute lacks direct language on a particular point, then the courts have to decide whether the agency interpretation is based on a permissible interpretation of the statute. If the agency's construction is reasonable, then the court's got to assess whether the decision of Congress to leave the uh, ambiguity was done explicitly or implicitly. If the decision of Congress was explicit, then the agency's regulation is binding. If the decision was implicit, so long as the agency's interpretation is reasonable, the court can't substitute its own interpretation. You're all completely confused now, aren't you? Good. That's why everyone hates Chevron. Essentially, if Congress passes a law that's not clear on what a federal agency can do, 
but gives it some nebulous power. Then the court's got to decide, did Congress intend this to be nebulous and vague, or did they just screw up writing the law? And if they decide Congress screwed up writing the law, well, then the court gets to decide what it means. If they decide Congress was intending to be vague, nebulous, and expansive in giving the agency power, well, then the agency gets to govern. And it becomes a, a, a peeing contest, to put it politely, between the courts and the agencies. And typically, the agency gets deference, but there's a problem, there's a problem. See, in the 1980s, in the early 90s, what would happen is federal agencies would write regulations to get them out of having to do any work. So Congress would give them a vague power, and the agency would do a pro forma regulation, and entities would check boxes and say, well, we've done it, and the agency says, good, we don't have to go inspect. But when Bill Clinton became president, he started stacking the federal agencies with a bunch of progressives who wanted to use Chevron to empower regulators to change the course of history. And so the regulators would take nebulous congressional statutes and they would say, well, it's our power. And it'd be very he-man. I have the power. And they would force companies to do things. And it wasn't clear whether they had the power to make the companies do it. And even the progressives on the Supreme Court are like, wait a second here. We, we, Congress writes the law, not federal agencies. We got to do something. We got to rein it in. And they began chipping away at Chevron. And tomorrow, they may make the final chip away at Chevron in West Virginia versus the EPA. Why? Because West Virginia sued the EPA. Because the EPA decided it was going to pass regulations about climate change. But wait, you say, Congress hasn't passed a piece of legislation addressing climate change. You would be right. But the EPA said, we don't need it. We have the Clean Air Act. The Clean Air Act was passed in the 1970s. And now the EPA says, well, we can use the language of the Clean Air Act to regulate carbon emissions. And West Virginia says, no, the hell you can't. Climate change wasn't even a thing when Congress passed it, and carbon emissions weren't contemplated under the law. And the agency, the EPA, says, well, it was written so vague and broad, we can extract the power from it. And West Virginia says, no, you can't. And tomorrow, the Supreme Court will decide even if the law was written at a time climate change wasn't even on the horizon. At the time it was written, it was global cooling people were worried about. Can the EPA still find powers in a nebulous law because of Chevron? If the Supreme Court says no, all hell is going to break loose, and you need to understand why. There are a lot of options out there. If you're a self-starter and you want to invest on your own, it can be really confusing 
And I'm delighted to tell you about SoFi because that's who I use. And now I've got them as an advertiser. If you're a SoFi user, uh, my gosh, you get all sorts of options, great research. You get the ability to invest in stocks, EFTs, crypto, plan out your retirement. Uh, more importantly, you got people you can call on. I mean, for example, um, I can use SoFi to buy stocks and EFTs and do the deep dive research if I need to and get complimentary financial planners ready to help answer questions. Uh, you can too, whether you're stuck on where to start or need help deciding what to do next. You can even save for retirement with traditional Roth and SEP IRAs. They have so many options. If you're into crypto, you can also explore crypto. They've got 30 available coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Solana, Dogecoin, and so much more. But more importantly, they've got the number one ranked automated investment tool, their robo-advisor. It takes the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio without having to pay a bunch of experts to do it. I really like SoFi. Y'all, I've tried, you name it, and I probably tried it, and I settled on SoFi and think you will like it as well. Cut through the jargon, make investing easier with SoFi. Visit SoFi.com slash Eric to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SOFI.com slash Eric. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. Y'all on the phones, be patient. I went long in the last segment, and I got to get through this point here so you understand why if the Supreme Court overrules Chevron tomorrow, which is likely, hell, hell is going to break loose. Think about all the federal agencies in Washington, the ATF, the FAA, the FDA, uh, the FTIC, uh, the FDIC, uh, you name it. They all rely on the Chevron case for their powers. Because Congress writes very vague laws. Congress is bad at writing clear laws. And so all of these agencies have used the vagaries and the obfuscations of Congress's legal writing to make power grabs. If Chevron goes away tomorrow, so too does their power. It will force Congress to have to go back and rewrite laws and make those laws clearer. Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch have gone on record saying Congress needs to do that, that courts should stop using the Chevron case as an excuse to allow Congress to write crappy laws. I mean, Brett Kavanaugh has said that. Brett Kavanaugh is the leading voice on the Supreme Court for getting rid of Chevron and Neil Gorsuch right behind him. They've written entire intellectual arguments, law review articles of the like on getting rid of Chevron because it gives federal agencies too much power. Because you see, you got to understand a, a clear po a key point here. The conservatives on the court believe the federal agencies are in the executive branch. And if they're in the executive branch, their power is in enforcement of law, not in writing law. That is the problem. Regulations are laws, they got to come from the legislative branch. Legislature can't delegate that away. It's called non-delegation. This is why tomorrow could be really big in the Supreme Court and why have a bigger impact than the Dobbs case. Now, I want you to have a big impact in your life and the life of those around you, which is why I recommend you go to OmahaSteaks.com and put Eric in the search bar, E-R-I-C-K in the search bar at Omaha Steaks. 
If you do, you can get deliciousness delivered to your door. You can get steaks. You can get hand-cut, butcher-cut fillets, boneless pork chops, boneless chicken breasts, gourmet jumbo franks, the caramel apple tartlets, and eight burgers for free. Those burgers are free. I'm making some tomorrow, as a matter of fact, with my onion rings. You can get all of these things deliciousness delivered to your door with 100% satisfaction guarantee from Omaha Steaks by going to omahasteaks.com and putting Eric, E-R-I-C-K, in the search bar. If you do, you get this incredible offer and incredible value over 50% off. Omaha Steaks, they're not having the supply chain issues, and they're not jacking up their prices like so many grocery stores are, so you get great value and prices and savings and deliciousness, higher quality beef delivered to your door by going to omahasteaks.com, putting Eric, E-R-I-C-K, in the search bar, and they give you 100% satisfaction guarantee at omahasteaks.com. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, I got an email from a friend of mine during the break who said I basically have jinxed the West Virginia versus EPA case. Now they're not going to get rid of the Chevron doctrine. I, I don't know. I'm just telling you, the the odds are they're headed in that direction. None of them like the case, and it could be a very big deal tomorrow. I mean, you could see, and, and this, it'll sail over the heads of every American except you if they side with West Virginia in this case. But if they do... Um, it's going to be bigger and impact more people than the Dobbs case, even if it doesn't have the emotional impact. So uh, be wary of it. Now, I want to go to the phones. I'm going to go to Jim first. Jim, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you, Eric? Good. How are you? I'm fine. I'm a former Illinoisan that's uh, very happy in the state of Georgia. Oh, nice. But, uh, I was listening. <laughs> I'm one of the many that have fled. But um, I just have a question for you. I was listening to Fox Business this morning, and I was listening to them, and they indicated that uh, J.B. Pritzker, who is the uh, current governor of Illinois, apparently is uh, putting money into the Republican coffers for his candidates, the, the Republican candidates, because he's trying to cherry pick who he wants to have run against him in mm-hmm. November. And my question is, I don't believe that's fair that you can have Candidates, you know, opposing candidates fund, you know, their other campaigns. It just seems completely unethical to me, but I know it's politics. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the Democrats nationwide have spent $45 million in Republican primaries helping Trump affiliated candidates in swing states. Um, essentially, in, uh, in Illinois, and which isn't really a swing state, it's a Democrat state, but Illinois and Pennsylvania and Colorado. Uh, and there are a couple other states. The Democrats are pouring money in to elevate Trump-oriented candidates, Missouri and Eric Greitens now as well, um, to try to get those candidates the Republican nomination, knowing they will be the weakest candidate in the general election, or so they think. Uh, they're playing with fire here because look at, for example, Pennsylvania. The Democrats actually spent more money on the Republican gubernatorial nominee in Pennsylvania than the Republican gubernatorial nominee spent himself uh, and got him that, and now he's within three points of the incumbent. They're playing with fire here. Uh, In Colorado, the Democrats are being a little smarter. Colorado Republicans are pretty moderate. Uh, They're not firebrand conservatives like I am, and they'll reject a Republican. They've done it repeatedly in the past. Um, And 
this is why how the Democrats are playing. And Republicans need to catch on to this in Illinois. The Pritzker, who is a bajillionaire from bajillionaire family, is pouring his money, trying to elevate one of the Republican candidates so that he'll have an easier time. Why? Illinois, you and I think of as a Democratic state, but statewide, occasionally Republicans do well in the gubernatorial race. And the reason they do well in the gubernatorial race is because even a lot of Democrats in Illinois hate what happens in Springfield, the capital. Hi, those of you listening on WMAY. Um, the, the, the Republicans sometimes are able to get a Republican governor in Illinois because the Democrats up in Chicago sit out the race. They get so frustrated with the Democrats. And Pritzker is not a popular politician. There have been a number of businesses now that have packed up and left Illinois, including Caterpillar, I think, most recently, moving to Texas uh, because the business environment is so unfriendly in Illinois. Um, But I will say, regardless, uh, pretty much every single odds maker out there says the Democrats are going to win this race. Uh, Prisker just wants to pad the margin and hope it helps him down ballot, too. Uh, Back to the phones. Jacob, you are going to be up next. Welcome to the program, Jacob. Hi, Eric. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, my question is, I wanted to get your opinion on the fair tax, the idea in general, and then uh, H.R. 25 that was put forth in January of 2021. Um, okay, so the the, the fair tax, uh, give, give me that again, the dates. So the, the, the fair tax is an idea has been around, I, I've been a voting age for 20 years, yeah. and I've heard it just as long. Uh, it's a, it's the idea of the national sales tax, mm-hmm. um, and uh, there is HR Bill uh, 25. I believe it it was put forth in January of 2021. Yeah. Okay. 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 Uh, so you know Neil Bortz, uh, who used to be on uh, WSB in Atlanta nationally nine to noon. Uh, and John Linder, who was then a uh, Republican congressman from Georgia, they kind of led the fair tax charge. There was a guy over in Arizona who used to take the credit for it. Uh, but Bortz and Linder were really the champions of the fair tax, which was essentially a national uh, sales tax in lieu of the income tax. It's not a VAT, not a value-added tax, but an actual national sales tax. And they championed it in lieu of the income tax. Now, what they hinged it on, however, was the repeal of the 17th Amendment, the income tax amendment, um, that you got to get rid of that because you don't want a sales tax and an income tax at the federal level. Uh, originally, when, Absolutely. Yeah, when, when Congress was originally structured – and when the Constitution was really structured, you did not have a uh, – you only had national taxes uh, on imports, excises, and a few other things. There was a prohibition on an income tax. Everything had to be an equal tax. Uh, a sales tax could gain uh, credibility at the national level uh, in a way that the income tax hasn't necessarily. The problem here is that there are no votes in Congress to get rid of the income tax. And the Democrats would love to add a value-added tax or a sales tax. The Democrats actually want a VAT tax. They don't want a national sales tax because with the national sales tax, you and I would see it on the receipt uh, and we would know what it is. With the VAT tax, it's baked into prices. So, for example, if you go to Europe today, if you go to McDonald's, okay, if you go to McDonald's in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, 
and you order a hamburger, say the hamburger is 79 cents up there, and you what happens when you hand them 79 cents? They say, well, you, you owe us more than that. And you say, why? So, well, there's there's tax. Every kid has this experience. I remember when I was a child, there was this grocery store down the street from my grandparents called Junior Food Mart, best fried chicken on planet Earth still to this day, the best fried chicken you will eat everywhere on planet Earth. Junior Food Mart. It's no longer the Junior Food Mart, mind you. It's something else, but they still have the best fried chicken. But they had an icy machine, a Coke Icy when I was a kid was the greatest thing. And you could get a small one and you could get that small one for a quarter. Back in my day, kids, <laughs> it was kind of like the Costco uh, rotisserie chicken. It was a it was a quarter for a small Icy. And I went in there one day and I had a quarter. My mom had given me a quarter. I walked to the Junior Food Mart from my grandparents' house. It was just, just a few blocks up the street. It wasn't far. They're out in rural. I mean, we're, our town was so rural, there wasn't even a stoplight. And I handed the girl my quarter. And she said, you need two more pennies. So what? What? It's 25 cents for 90. By God, I have my 25 cents, lady. I'm 10 years old and indignant. I have a quarter. I could have bought gum. I wanted an icy, a 25-cent Coke icy, and she said it was actually 20 cents. The sign said it was 25 cents. False advertising. No sales tax in Louisiana. She wound up giving me the icy. I do want you to know she gave me my small icy for my quarter. But... Same thing. You go to Worcester, Massachusetts, you get the 79-cent hamburger. You don't want a cheeseburger. You want a hamburger. And it's actually more than that. If you go to Europe, Europe doesn't have a sales tax. Europe has a value-added tax. And the value-added tax is added in every step of the process. There's a little tax until it gets to you. So in Europe, you go, and the hamburger is a pound. They have pounds there. They don't have dollars. And it's one pound. And guess what? It actually is one pound. You never actually see the tax. You feel it, and you don't know you're feeling the tax. That's why the value-added tax is so pernicious. The Democrats want a VAT because it's woven into the entire process of the manufacturing, of the production, of the service. It's all there. And when it gets to you— you just pay what the sign says. If the sign says your IC is 25 cents, your IC is 25 cents. But really, your IC is 15 cents, and there's 10 cents of tax the whole way through it. From the production of the Coke to the production of the ice to the freezing of the water to the building of the machine, it's all put in to the tax, and you never see it. I like the fair tax idea better than a VAT, obviously, because a VAT is just baked into the equation and as a result of that, you never actually get that itemized receipt that says, here's your sales tax. With a national sales tax, you do, and people would feel it. The problem is you're never going to get it. The fair tax is a pipe dream, and there's been a lot of emotional energy put into the conservative libertarian movement to get a fair tax, 
And you're not because you're not going to repeal the 17th Amendment because Democrats and Republicans alike love to use the income tax code to try to structure society. And because they love to use the income tax code to structure society, they ain't giving up the income tax. They'll give you a national, they will be glad to give you a national sales tax, but they're not going to give up the income tax, nor will they lower the income tax. They're just going to get a national sales tax. The one tax the federal government is not allowed to do. You know what the one tax is the federal government can't do? Real property tax. The Constitution prohibits the federal government from taxing real property. That's why you can do a property tax for your local government and for your state government, but there will never be a property tax for the federal government because the founders did not want the feds taxing private land. You pay capital gains tax when you sell your house and stuff, but that's different. That's an inflationary cost. You can't do a property tax at the federal government level. Constitution won't let them. Uh, and right now, they, they, they're they not doing a national sales tax because they've got the income tax. That sort of stuff matters. I, I just – I I like the idea of a sales tax, but my preference and what I think is actually doable is a flat tax. Every American should be charged the same amount of tax. If I were king for a day, I'll tell you how I'd do it too. If I were king for a day and I could snap my finger Thanos style and impose – an income tax regime on America. Every American would pay 20%. Every single American, rich, poor, old, young, everyone would pay 20%. However, if you were married and you had kids under the age of 21, you'd pay 10%. And you would get a tax credit for each child under the age of 18. That would incentivize families staying together and producing children to stimulate future workforce. Everybody, otherwise, you pay 20%. No deductions, not even for charity. Everybody pays 20%. What's your income? My income is is $100,000, $20,000 to the feds. 20000 Oh, wait, what? You got married and you got kids? Well, you're only going to pay $10,000 now. And we'll deduct tax credits for each of your kids. And so you may not pay anything. I make the childless bear the burdens of the future. Why? Because the people who are producing the kids are producing the future of this country who will be the future taxpayers of the country. Yeah, I know. People hate my idea. They're like, well, I'm glad you can't do that. I personally, that's what I would do. I'm sure you wanted to know. What else I would do? I would go to EdenPureDeals.com and get the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. And I would clean the stinky air, the smell of sulfur that would happen when I snapped my fingers to make it so. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm could do that, and you can get three of them for less than $200. If you go to EdenPureDeals.com and you put my discount code in, Eric3, E-R-I-C-K-3, you get three of them. They're each of them over $100. But... If you use the discount code ERIC3, 
You get three of them for less than $200, saving $200, and you get free shipping. They eliminate odors. They don't mask odors. They get rid of the dust, the mildew, the pollen floating in the air, and they're filterless. You don't need a filtered subscription. You just wipe them out on occasion, and they're portable. You can hold it in your hand. You can plug it up in your car with a USB cable or directly into a wall. So if your car, you rent a car, and you got smoky odors or pet odors in the car, you can wipe them out with the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. I keep one in my suitcase for that reason. EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is Eric3. E-R-I-C-K-3. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever you are nationwide. They would love to help your business grow. Doesn't matter whether you are in Omaha, Nebraska, or Orlando, Florida, or Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Portland, Maine. They can help your business where banks are telling you no, they're helping you get to yes. But it's big deal. $750,000 or more. Reach out to my friends, the Frost family. See if they can help you. Go to FirstLibertyGA.com, FirstLibertyGA.com. Uh, they can help you. Tell them I sent you. Okay, uh, can, can I just, for, for a moment, Jim was asking if I needed scissors. No, no, I wanted the paper cuts. I, I wanted the paper cuts. <laughs> Listen, I love that people like to send me stuff in the mail. I actually just got a, a letter from someone who has uh, said, uh, she's bad with computers. So she cut up and pasted onto a piece of paper, uh, the newspaper article and then wrote around it, her commentary. God bless her. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, I can't always respond. Like in today's mail, I got like five self-published books and I'm willing to, to flip through them and, and look at them and engage them. Uh, not going to talk about them on air cause otherwise I would be inundated, but I gotta tell you. Just for future reference, I don't mean this arrogantly, I promise. It's just, it's it's a matter of time and convenience. If you would like me to open your package and see what you have sent me, and it's gotten through security. I got a note one time. Uh, it looked like someone was sending me a, a large body part. Oh, it was a large silicon body part that they wanted me to shove somewhere where the sun doesn't sign just because they didn't like me. I was really impressed they took the time to order something like that. Someone else sent me one time and it vibrated and looked like Barack Obama. Neil Bortz got one too. But all I'm saying is if you want me to open the package, please make it so it can be opened. I got one and it really looked like one of those packages of cocaine that five-year-olds find when they're swimming in Florida, like around docks. <laughs> It was wrapped in, like, packaging tape. Like, over it, there was no seam into which I could even get a finger to pry open the package. And I knew what it was. It was someone had self-published a book. And they wanted me to see. I can't I can't get into your pack. It could have been cocaine, but it made it past security. So I'm pretty sure it wasn't. It felt more like a book in there. But I couldn't get to it. And I'm sorry, the amount of packing tape probably added 50 bucks to the overall cost of even shipping the book to me. And I couldn't get into it. There was no way for me to get into it unless I found the seam of tape and tried to start unraveling. And, and there were, no, I, I'm sorry. I love y'all. I do. I've got a stack of letters here. I, I will read them. I will savor them. I don't have time to respond to everybody. I really don't. I do see them unless Charlie gets them first. And, well, if Charlie gets them first, I may never see him. But he's on vacation. 
which is why you have a lovely call screener today who is actually nice to you on the phones. But y'all, I, I can't open your package when you tape it up like it's a package of cocaine destined for the bottom of some dock in Florida. I, I just, I can't. When we come back, we got to move on because Democrats, they're melting down. Republicans seem to be winning.